Welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. Hi there, and welcome to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. Today, I'm joined by Phil Clark. Phil started out as an environmental health officer um, and um, and still sees himself in that role uh, in environmental health. But he um, he heads up the the department uh, within Nuffield Health. They're the largest healthcare charity in uh, in the UK. Um, they've got over sixteen thousand employees, um, thirty one independent hospitals, uh, many many gyms. Um, they interact with hundreds of thousands of people every single year and um, you know it's a really exciting environment that uh, that he works in anyway I'm going to um, I'm going to hand over to Phil I'll speak to you again at the end bye now but generally speaking would you, would you be able to just um, just give us a little bit of insight into into sort of you know how you how you got into to health and health and safety in your in profession and envir- environmental health as well how did it uh, you know how did it come about um, I joined the army many years ago, I know it seems, and um, I start off in the intelligence corps, which sounds really glamorous and exciting, but it's, um, sorry to dispel any myths, but it's, um, it's just like health and safety, in that you have some information or data coming in, and you make assessments based on that information of what you're going to do, you do a risk assessment, so... Uh, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry to shatter illusions about that side of the world. Um, but I was thinking, what am I going to do post my military career? And I was thinking that actually, I'm not interested in the intelligence side of things to uh, uh, something to do outside in city streets. So I looked around and um, I thought, what trade in the military uh, allow for? Um, me to do direct civilian inequality experience. And I've identified uh, three or four different trades. And the first course that we're starting was for an environmental health technician in the medical course. So I transferred across, did my training, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I could see parallels with the intelligence side of things from the risk management perspective. And there's clearly links in, in outside in the army uh, many many fellow health and safety professionals also cover security, which is what I had quite a decent exposure of during my intelligence days. Um, yeah, so I, I, I suppose I see myself for first and foremost as an environmental health officer rather than a health and safety professional. Yeah. And I actually think my environmental health background gave me a wider perspective and was far better. Pre- not far better, but was. I think a better way of preparing for a career within health and safety because you look at so many different fields that are linked together. Mm. Um, sometimes there's a danger by just focusing on the health and safety. You just focus on that isolation. With a wider perspective for environmental health, you see far more things uh, to, and then help stitch them all together. I said stitch because I've just seen in the background there, it says stitcher is your... Uh, <laughs> I just said, why didn't say stitch? I never say that, and I thought that's why I did because in the thing in the background. So obviously, that's that's who you use for uh, putting together these podcasts. I would have thought that's one of the yeah one of the one of the forums we use definitely. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a bind them together, and and um, so yeah, that it, I, I didn't as a young child dream of becoming a health and safety person or environmental health officer. Um, 
wanted to join the police too short, so I thought I'd join the army instead. <laughs> so you, you talk about it being a wider, a wider sort of a brief or a more, a, you know, more uh, sort of holistic approach, I suppose, to to, to, to it. What, in what way, and in, in what way does it, uh, you know, is it is it a, a bigger brief? Do you think the environmental health side? Well, in some respects, you can look at health and safety and think it all boils down to those core principles of risk assessment, really. Mm-hmm. And you can adopt those to actually any sphere that you're in, that you encounter the risk assessment process. But it does have that wider perspective. So, yes, you cover health and safety when you're looking at environmental health, but you also cover food safety. Mm-hmm. You also cover environment issues. You also cover housing and public health issues, communicable disease control. Uh, I think it also cover more on the perhaps because of my military way I was initially trained, uh, cover more on the occupational health monitoring side of things and uh, and fire safety. So it gives you a far rounder and uh, and uh, a larger skill set of uh, of issues to deal with and to get experiences with than. Um, I suppose the traditional route for a health and safety person in many respects is you work in, um, in an office, a factory, a lab or hospital and then you start to get interested or you're appointed the health and safety person so you tend to learn health and safety from that perspective. Yes, you imagine the NIBOS certificates or something which just give you a bit of a wider view but that's your experiences in environmental health, especially in the military. You do get that far wider perspective and that far wider range of issues to deal with. So I think that's that certainly helps, and especially as you're progressing your career and you become responsible for, for more issues in your organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, it means you've had a background in lots of those things. I think when you you know when you're looking at where you where you are now and the business you're with now, you know a lot a lot of the things that you were talking about there about the food hygiene and uh, um, you know there are issues that go out outside of the outside of the business itself, you know, it's when you start to become customer facing, you know, that's when, um, you know, that's when, when things can get, uh, can get quite complicated. And I think, you know, when we, when we were chatting previous today, I think you were saying, well, is it your, your 1500 employee, 15,000, sorry, 15, employees, uh, yeah, on 400 sites, but there's also hundreds of thousands of people that are, that are visiting your gyms and your, your hospitals yep. on a, yep. on an annual basis. And so that, that, that was a completely different, dynamics really isn't it um when, when you look at it like that it thinks wow what a what an awesome organization having so many different things to cover um and also what a what a responsibility but i'm not saying it's easy but i'm i'm quite lucky in that the organization i work for does have a very positive view towards what we do and it's um a more acceptance to be involved in the discussions than, than, than you see perhaps outside of my organisation where people do have difficulties. So I think it, it helps that I've got good people who are willing to learn and want to, um, um, and want to learn and, and are happy to discuss things and uh, seek my support to do things. And the key thing with having so many sites is I think is communication, is making sure that you find different forums to communicate with everybody. Um, you can communicate with all levels of the organisation and also try to get yourself known to, to everybody, yourself and your team. And by having though that, that good team, some really good people around you, 
I think that's that's how you can make it work because I can't physically get to the however many four hundred sites or, or however it's, it's virtually impossible. Um, so I, you've got to you've got to make use of um, the resources you do have, the team around you, to be able to go to some of those additional sites you can't go to. I've been with Nuffield Health what, nearly eight and a half years now as well, so that's enabled me over that time to uh, uh, visit an awful lot of sites and get to know people and get to know the sites. Um, and we've got some really good people on the ground because I think the next thing when you're, when you're looking at having such a, a wide area of responsibility in a way is you try to get the decisions to be made operationally, locally. Because I, from a health and safety perspective, can't make all the health and safety related decisions. Therefore, if you empower people, if you give them the skills, the training, you mentor them and give them responsibility and support, hopefully they'll be able to make those decisions locally because the supervisors, the line managers and the responsible people on the sites, they're the best placed people, I think, to manage that particular risk, especially as we deal with lots of different um, members, patients, customers, I suppose. Um, and... We have so many different types of buildings in different areas. It's not one, all our hospitals are different, all our gyms are, are different. So it's not one design, they're about the same everywhere. Mm. I'll think about it. Is that, does any multi site organization have exactly the same building and exactly the same issues that they face? <laughs> and McDonald's, probably. That's about as close as you're going to get. But, but it's really interesting what you're saying there because I um I used to work for an organisation which we had we had about we didn't have as many people we only had about um um about six thousand employees but we had eight hundred sites and and what we had was a lot of sites that were one man bands um you know concrete plants you know people just making 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 materials and selling it and um. And, and and we had, I think when I first started, we had about um, about thirty five or forty health and safety advisors, managers, whatever they were called. And, and when I when I finished with the business, we're, we're taking that number down to about fifteen. And people said, well, how can you how can you be serious about health and safety when you've reduced the health and safety department that much? And, and I think it was what it was during that transition of reducing the number of advisors, we actually upskilled the management on the site and made them made them much better at making the right decisions. And I think, you know, that's really what you, you know, that's exactly what you said then. And this, it really is the, the way you have to go when, you, when you're on these multiple sites. So, so how do you, you know, how do you sort of, do you, do you manage that process then of, of making sure that the people have got the, the right skills or, or, or is that something that even that they do that locally? No, no, we, uh, we, we manage the process of training people from a health and safety perspective, from a central, central position. Um, so if I give a bit of a background, I, I joined St. Nuffield Health about eight and a half years ago. And one of my first classes allocated, uh, we had a, a health and safety director, then a slightly different organisation, the way we were organising health and safety. Um, one of my first aims was to upskill all the hospital coordinators. So up to that stage, it was, I suppose, the equivalent of level two, managing safety type qualification. Mm -hmm. um, and so we upskilled them all to level three, NEBOS, NGC or equivalent. Yeah. So what I did in those first three years, um, each year I ran a, um, a NEBOS, NGC. It was internally run. Uh, myself as the lead tutor with a couple of my other colleagues in the health and safety team 
teaching some areas, taking some of the days. And then after we'd done that, we transferred to the British Safety Council's uh, Level 3 Certificate in uh, Health and Safety. Mm-hmm. Um, both off-call regulated, both allowing people to apply for technician level membership of IOSH. Mm-hmm. So we got those core skills. So we've got all the hospital coordinators trained. Um, and we also reached out and we loaded some of our ops managers from gyms. The ops managers leave the health and safety function in our, in our gyms. Loaded those onto the course as well. So started spreading out and getting more and more good quality training. It's good quality because it's delivered by me. But it's also, because it was in-house, it enabled people to build up networks as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People to know each other from different sides. And I thought what was what was really powerful was the hospital and the gym people were on the same course. So they got to know different sides of the business and, and how you manage this, that, or the other. So a hospital coordinator would see some of the key issues in, a, in our gyms, like the pool plant room and the pool hall, management of the swimming side of things. And the gym ops managers would see um, how do you manage radiology? How do you manage um, um, in theatres? So they would see completely different things. Um, and I think that also really, really helped by um, giving that wider perspective, building those networks. In addition to that, um, we ran a couple of seminars, and we still do. Obviously, with COVID-19, things are slightly changed at the moment. But we would enter in one or two seminars each year as well to bring together all the health and safety coordinators from the hospitals and the key uh, people from our gyms as well. So again, it's I found that, that networking opportunities, that discussion, um, allows for people to learn from others' experience and sort of get confidence that uh, their colleagues in all the hospitals, the gyms are doing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that really, really helped. Um, we also um, had a little bit to invest in people who aspired to go beyond that level three as well. So yeah. a couple of people who did the MBQ um, was four, but I think it's now level five, isn't it, for the glad uh, off level. Yeah. Um, and um, we haven't run any of the level three courses for a couple of years now because we've, we've trained so many we found that yeah. um there wasn't enough people to to for us to put on a dedicated course so we no longer run those internally instead we um we facilitate people to do it um locally so it's that could be day released in the nebosh ngc um or it could be uh the online by the uh, ncrq route as well so mm-hmm. we still have the seminars and also conscious about CPD for the um, uh, for our size, the people on our site. So, in addition to the, um, the seminars that have been on in the past, um, we have things like uh, last, last, late last year we ran a an accident investigation course, which is bespoke. I developed it along with our uh, some of our legal people, so we could look at it from a lawyer's perspective as well as an internal manager's perspective and also from an insurer's perspective too. So it's mm-hmm. keep giving people um, opportunities to learn and develop, mm-hmm. keep them to show that we can help meet some of their aspirations as well. So mm-hmm. I do find that's quite, um, that's quite important in engaging people at a local level. Mm-hmm. But also 
you need to make sure that people are accountable and know they're accountable for their actions um, at, at the site level too. Mm. It's um, you've got that responsibility, but uh, yeah, through how can you be accountability through audit process and developing dashboards and, and all those sorts of issues that many people probably do as well. Some of the, the basics in health and safety that uh, sometimes we uh, we sort of skip over because they don't sound that exciting, but some of these core things you do need to do. Um, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think, think there's, there's definitely a need. There's definitely a need to 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 understand what you what you have and haven't got. You know the statutory stuff, but it's not as um it's not always as interesting as it as the uh, as the people side of things. But uh, sorry, I cut right across you. Then I do apologise. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, that behavioural safety piece is it's fascinating and. I recently did the uh, RMS uh, behavioural safety course. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a couple of weeks from first um, signing up for it and getting around to doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it really good. And it also, it, it, in some respects, it, well, lots of respects, it coalesced into one, the things I have been doing and helped me rethink the way I perhaps should do things in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I sort of gave some names to theories that, I've been following without necessarily knowing I've read about them or, or mm. uh, consciously applying these various forms of leadership and, and those sorts of issues that are brought up. So I found it quite interesting uh, from that perspective. Um, and I think the other thing I, I think is really important, um, and it's not just from my perspective where where I work, and, and, and it's you need to be able to review things and you need to be able to take a step back every now and then and not be precious about anything. Um, I think it's very easy that if you've put in place a, a superb-looking process or a template or a, uh, a teaching package, you to become very precious about it and think, no, 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 I don't want to change at all because I've spent a lot of time doing that work. But I actually think we need to take a step back every now and then and that's, that's actually the process we're, I'm, I'm undergoing at the moment with my, uh, with my team members, is reviewing everything we do. Mm-hmm. How are we doing it? How are we presenting it? Is there a better way of presenting it? Um, how can we lock in better efficiencies? Um, mm-hmm. And is everything that we're doing, does it make sense? Do people understand it? Does it add value to what we're doing? Do we need to do it? Is it duplication? Is it confusion? So having a you know step back, having a re-look at how we do things, and yes, a lot of our policies are really, really in a really good place, but actually we need to present them better. Mm. So happy to take a step back, update our directionet and things like that, because I think I was, uh, I'm trying to think, not, not brave enough, but honest enough with myself that not everything's perfect all the time and if you think something's not working change it and do something else mm. so that's uh, i think that's quite important the way we do things and because it's so many sites it's not just a um what's that was afraid navel gazing session and mm. do what you think is going to be right it's engaging with lots of stakeholders lots of people within the organization people who manage the health and safety on a day-to-day basis so brought them into the team as well to review this thing of how they can actually implement things operationally because it's, I suppose it's, I might say I've never fallen into the trap, but um, 
it can be quite easy, I think, to think you know best what's going on on the sites and what should be done, whereas, especially in a larger organisation where there's the gap between what people are doing operationally and what you're doing in head office, it's quite a bit of a separation. Uh, so it's important to involve those uh, those people as well. So yeah, I, I, t- I totally agree with you. I mean, what would what would your company's health and safety policy look like if it was written by the lads and the ladies at the sharp end of the business and not the directors? You know, and 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 why not try doing that? Why not just say to them, "Go on, what should what should the direction look like?" You know, and uh, just see what it comes see what it comes back with. So you know, involving Fortunately, people. Fortunately, very much alive. <laughs> right, we're very much alive. So that's quite good. But um, mm. yeah, it, it, it's nice, but it's also the way you implement things of, of, and also how do you get that assurance from them as well? How do you, um, how do you carry out your audits so you 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 can look at your assurance and give to your senior leaders in, in within our organisation that assurance that things are in place, but also mm. making sure that. If things aren't in place, you've got to be honest, honest enough with your uh, um, your chain of chain of command, yeah, chain of command, that uh, you tell them that things aren't right, something something bad has happened. But you also need to say when it's good and not sure. So part of that reviewing is is looking at every aspect of it and mm. find out what your <laughs> what your senior leaders, what sort of information they want to know, how they want it presented. Mm. So we're uh, looking at from from that perspective as well. Mm. That uh, that's that's great. You um you mentioned a little bit earlier on about um you know about one of the real strengths of uh, of running the training that you did was that you you created this network of uh, well this opportunity to network. Is that something that you've been able to maintain once people have left the courses? You know, so that they're you know that network that network stays stays strong. Uh, yeah, I think I think we've we've done quite well there because um, we have the regular um, health and safety seminars, which they can, which we invite all the hospital health and safety coordinators and people, uh, key people from gym side, I think as well, so they can um, they can review that network and meet up with people again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we always try to put time in there um, so people can catch up. Um, mm-hmm. And because it's important that people know each other, and people aren't, don't don't think oh, I'm, I'm I'm all alone doing this. There's there's other people who are facing the same issues as them. So why not have the conversation? And and if um, if a new health um, health and safety coordinator is appointed in one of our hospitals, because as a team we know um, we know all of our health and safety quarters very well. We can sort of we can ask. Health and safety from one a coordinator from one site to go and visit a, a newly appointed health and safety coordinator as well. So mm. um, I think that that helps as well that um, we we can have that uh, expertise um, in our in our organisation uh, and use it at all the sites. Mm. And that's quite powerful as well and builds up those networks and yes, they may go you know face to face for a meeting and things like that, but then that. Those conversation will keep going on through email or um or, or the phone or, or other methods these days because mm. it's um it's it, it it can be it can be a lonely it can be a lonely place i can remember again a few years back um the company i worked for we trained we trained a load of um of people up as safety reps so they were probably a, a level a level of, a little bit 
down the management structure from from where you've been uh, in there. But um, these people have been on some really really great training with the TUC, and they'd come back into the environment, and um, and then and then all of a sudden they they started to realise that they were they were actually a little bit of a, a you know the the, the the, a rock between, you know, the, the hard place, I can't remember what the actual term is. Um, but, um, you know, they, um, you know, they, they were having to represent the lads and the ladies at the sharp end, but also engage with the management. And they found it a little bit confrontational and a little bit difficult at times. And so, so we actually set up a really great network amongst those people so that they, they, you know, they all had email addresses, which those people at that level had never had email addresses in the company before and access to computers and, and be able to talk to other people at similar in a similar position to them and it was just so it was so valuable you know really really worked so the more you can do with that the, you know the better yeah yeah, yeah and uh, also that the uh, the issue at the moment where you've got limited sort of traveling rules learning how to use skype and teams a lot more and uh, it's, I think it's one of the things that hope that when we get out of this horrible situation it's one of the things we do find as a positive in that um, uh, we can think from the environmental perspective, we can certainly cut down on our mileage, but also think from a business perspective, we can cut down on our cost of traveling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's getting that fine balance between the face-to-face meetings and the, uh, the, 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 the remote meetings. So um, I think we can, uh, I think that's one of the things trying to keep from this current, uh, current crisis and, uh, translate that and keep that going outside or beyond. And I, and I really hope that happens because some, um, you know, there's a lot of business I've spoken to that, you know, that they realize that their businesses run really, really well without having all these face-to-face meetings, you know, and they're, and they're able to be productive and efficient and effective. And so I really hope that that, um, that, that, that carries on. So good, so good luck with that, uh, you know, with that and keeping that, uh, keeping that going. You, um, you know, you've, you've, you've spoken a lot here about the, um, you know, about, about the, the sort of key players on the site basis, but how do you, how do you go about influencing the senior team then? You know, what do you, uh, you know, what do you do in that, at that aspect? Um, well, we have a lot of the basics in place. So everybody has the basic online health and safety and fire safety and all those sorts of modules to go through each year. Um, but, in tandem with the level three courses that, uh, that we facilitate for the health and safety coordinators uh, and, and the ops managers on site is we run uh, um, our what we call safety management in Nuffield Health. So that's a, a bespoke two-day program that we've uh, we developed and keep refining over the years. And that's been very effective at getting um, uh, departmental heads uh, together. Um, and also people from different uh, sites within our organization, not at the health safety coordinator level, but at that next level down in terms of the health and safety knowledge, but often <laughs> one or two levels up in where they are in the management uh, of the field health. Hmm. So because it's bespoke, we can focus on exactly what we need to do in the field health. Mm-hmm. And that is really effective. And um, the other way we do it is um, we run. Um, it was IOSH leading safely, and right. this year we would move, we've moved over to uh, Nevosh's new leadership course that was developed in conjunction with the HSE. Right. So that was that was the last normal thing I did before COVID nineteen. <laughs> um, I did that on the Wednesday, and it locked down on the on the Friday. So. Um, 
I've not been able to follow up so much with, uh, with with the delegates from there. But we run these, and it's the leading safety was a really good way of facilitating a good workshop amongst leaders, so hospital directors and the general managers, senior manager, program director, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar with the uh, NEBOSH uh, leadership training, and that has been really effective at bringing together the senior leaders. So have that open discussions uh, with them and their opportunity to uh, to ask me anything they've ever wanted to know about health and safety, but also for me to delve a little bit about what their needs and expectations are mm. and what sort of, and, and the way both of these courses run, it's, um, it's to facilitate them uh, to think about their own, um, how they look at health and safety, how they act about health and safety, how they lead health and safety on their side. It also facilitates me uh, to look at how I do things as well and how I could do things better too. So um, I think that's that's been really really effective running those. Mm. Uh, so we do get those those key people um, involved in, in the decision making uh, the decision making. We get those key people involved in understanding health and safety from my perspective, but also I get to understand it from from their perspective so I can improve the service I offer to the uh, to the side. Mm. Oh, that's um you know these um you know these courses I think are always um you know it, it, it's it's always a great opportunity to to get people to to sit down and, and communicate but but also I do feel that you know that just getting people in a room for six hours or four hours I think the leading safety is what five hours in the classroom you know, there's only going to be so much you're ever going to achieve. I mean, it's, it's got to be, there's a whole load of work that you've got to do outside of the classroom to really get to the, the leadership to, to, to interact with the with the workforce in the right way. Do, do, do you do much on that outside of the classroom? Uh, yeah, I try to, uh, try to visit the sites and, uh, and take the opportunity to have discussions and friendly chats with various leaders uh, throughout the business. It's... Uh, sometimes quite difficult to do with uh, how many different sites we've got mm. and it's perhaps something I'd like to um, perhaps think I should have done more of in this, uh, in this last well not last few months obviously um, this last year because um, trying to keep your mileage down and everything like that mm. but yeah it's something I'm conscious of and being able to have these site visits or if there's a meeting at one of the sites then take the opportunity to go and speak with the matron, the HD, the GM and SGM or something like that. I think that's uh, that's quite important to, to do that is to, is to take advantage if you're having meetings outside of the head office. So uh, I try to do it from that perspective. But it's, as I said earlier, it's about communication. It's trying to maintain those line of communications with people in your organisation and trying to do the best you can, not just the same things and advising them what they should do, but taking feedback of what, they think you should do and how you can um, um, how you can provide as I said a bit earlier how you can provide a better service to them because um, I suppose I adopt that attitude that we're here to serve them in lots of respects mm-hmm. because um, we're here I'm here and my team are there to, to help them um, and to be there for them to support them and to be able to have honest conversations with them as well if they do have an issue mm-hmm. so by having that good communication with them, we can have these really good discussions with them, and hopefully between us, um, find a way forward. And 
said earlier about reviewing things just to make sure things work. Things aren't mm-hmm. we, we change things that aren't working. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also not just about the health and safety and the site leader. It's also making sure that you reach out to to other strands within your business, other service lines. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for example, making sure you've got a good relationship with people who work in property and estates. Mm-hmm. Um, so we built up really good relationships with um with our colleagues who who work there um so it, you know some of the, the basics high safety asbestos you know those sorts of issues that we can manage them pragmatically with my i suppose regulatory hat on and their pragmatic what can we do hat on um between as we can come to some good solutions um whether it be control of contractors is another issue or or, or how we can manage the risk assessment process um for our engineers so it's uh, it's trying to reach out as much to the business as possible to understand the business and therefore provide that that service to them because there's, there's no doubt about it if you've got um if you've got 15,000 employees then you've um you've actually got you've got 15,000 experts there who, who know how to do they know how to do the job on a uh, on a daily basis and and nearly every day they get it right um, so, so you know, that's, that's, you know, reaching out to those people is just so important. So that that's uh, that's great to hear that you mentioned you mentioned contractors there. Then do you do you as a business use a lot of contractors? Uh, we do, yes. Yeah. Um, we have lots of lots of real estate, I suppose, and we can't we don't always have the resource uh, internally to be able to do these things. So we uh, we do have a, a lot of third parties that do work for us. Um, for example. Um, we 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 contract out for um, uh, any works on asbestos. We don't none of our staff will work on on any asbestos, and uh, we have third party subject matter experts to help us with the water water risk assessment process, the asbestos management surveys, and the uh, some of the uh, fire risk assessments as well. So it's it can be very very useful. Um, to have that outside expertise as well and mm. if you have managed to identify really good at third-party contractors um, you can have a very good working relationship with them where they can provide um, some good advice to you as well as do some work for you and mm. if you build that relationship with contractors and no matter what they're doing you can know you can trust each other you can be honest with each other uh, and find really good ways of working together I um I met with uh, um, Carl Simmons um, from um, Thames Water a couple of a uh, couple of weeks ago, and um and he was telling me a bit about his how they manage their supply chain, and it was it was amazing. They've got they've got different tiers of of contractors that uh, that work in their business, and um and he meets with the tier one contractors every single month, you know him personally every single month to to look and to to just to see the the protocols that they've got into place, how effective they are. And um, and I just thought, wow, that's a that's a really really big commitment that you've made there to you know, and, and well done, you know, because it's a, it's not easy, is it, to uh, you know, to to influence these these people that are coming that are coming into the business. One of the things that um, we've done in the past, in fact, I'm, I need to arrange a couple more, is we have a, a third party health and safety uh, contractor who does uh, independent due diligence audits for us. So our major suppliers, we. Um, uh, we get them to do a, 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 an organisation with a very long time, built up a lot of trust and respect with each other. Um, 
is we do due diligence audits of our suppliers and um, some of the recent um, tendering projects I've been involved in. That's part of the questioning. It's part of the discussions is if you're successful, uh, will you allow us to carry out a due diligence audit of, of how you operate? Mm-hmm. We may just see the person arriving in a van and making a delivery of chemicals or, or whatever, but we actually want to um, we want that assurance that behind all that there is support for that delivery and the thought about how they're going to do it, how they're going to manage it safely and any interactions with other safe. So um, that's uh, that's quite a, an important thing and the people we've got at the moment I think absolutely superb at doing, uh, doing those due diligence audits. Mm. Mm. No, that's um, that's great. That's really great to hear. And um, you know, and there's lots of lots of value that you're going to get out of um, out of interacting with the people that uh, you know they're coming in to do to do the jobs that you can't you can't always do because of your the skills or the time. You know, they tend to be the uh, the reasons why our contractors come in. Uh, you <laughs> so again in your in your workforce with the people at the at the sharp end. Then you um. I've been I've been having quite a few chats recently about uh, what I call psychological safety and about openness and honesty and trust and um, you know and that kind of uh, that, that kind of approach. How how do you how do you as a business go about to uh, sort of get in that environment where you know where people can can be open and honest and and about about how things are because it's always difficult, isn't it? But it can be. I am. <laughs> This is where I think I'm incredibly lucky to work for Nuffield Health because we've got a, re- a really good culture and to have honest conversations. And when I'm in some IOSH meetings, for example, and I, I hear fellow colleagues moaning about their staff not engaging, their leaders not engaging, and things like that, I'm sort of sat there thinking, I don't have all those problems. Am I the exception to the rule? Um, <laughs> because I think. Um, yeah, I know we've, we've got a really good set of staff, and and so I don't really have those sorts of issues. Talk with people, and as an organisation, maybe it's because um, you know we're, we're a charity, so we obviously we, uh, we we need to raise revenue to um, to be able to reach out um, to people with our to make the uh, follow our charitable level, make the nation healthier, um, but. Maybe because of ethos, maybe because we're a charity, we're not for profit. Mm-hmm. It maybe helps with the uh, with that excellent culture we have within the field health. And it's until I became head of health and safety, I was um, one of sort of one of the divisional uh, health and safety managers. And I used to love going out to the sites and getting engaging with the people because you would see that how they cared about the the organisation we work for and. Um, sounding really, yeah, really complimentary about the organisation I work for, but it's really, it was, it's really refreshing when you go out on site, you engage with people, and you know, live by the values that your organisation has got, and um, and it's not just paying lip service to to these values that that, that we have. So, I think that's why I'm in a really lucky position. So, when it comes to, to, to trying to do things, it's um, it's perhaps easier to engage with people than, uh, than than perhaps federal health and safety professionals may have mm. some issues engaging with them. So, um, yeah, I've also been very lucky uh, in my employment outside in, outside the military. 
I've worked for some really good organisations that that I can hand on the heart say they generally live by the values that they have. And I don't know. Maybe I've just been lucky, or maybe it's. um, I think I think think you've you've touched. You know, you've you've mentioned a couple of times now a word I think that's really important, and that is the 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 fact that your business has got values. You know, and it's maybe got a a vision. And if you've, you know, and then there's there's lots of businesses out there that haven't. You know, there's businesses out there that they they just do the doing. You know, they just go and, and, and make whatever it is they make, or they produce, you know, produce or the service that they provide. But there's if you've got if you've got values and you know that you can start to actually hang the way that you the way that you perform, and you actually the decisions that you make in your business are actually based around those values. Then I think I think you're, you're going to be successful. So it's so it's great to to hear. So do you do you get a chance? Um, to to actually to actually shape what the what the values look like. Um, not directly, no. Um, I shape for the from the health and safety perspective, um, and uh, but not not directly. I don't decide what the company's values are, but I think we were a, quite a, a mature organisation that's uh, developed its values over over the years. Uh, before I joined Nuffield and since I've since I've joined Nuffield Health, um, so we're not a, a new organisation. They've been the values have been firmly embedded into our organisation for quite a while now. So um, um, we don't I sort of don't need to to completely reinvent everything. It's mm-hmm. they, they work. People understand them. They're kept very simple. And um, from my perspective, it's. We work by those values, um, mm. and you know, in some respects, it's we're there to make people better. So people uh, come into the hospitals, they're ill, and we make them better. So that's quite a positive thing and positive way to work, isn't it? You're there to to make yeah. people happier, to make people better, to, or they go to the gym. We're there to make people fitter and achieve their goals. And I think that's very powerful for a workforce to motivate them because we're not there, we're not enforcing things, we're not doing bad things. Our our members in that journey from ill health or poor fitness or or, or they've got a goal to, to run a marathon or take part in whatever event, we can mm-hmm. facilitate that so we see positive outcomes. And maybe that's uh, just, uh, one of the reasons why it's got very good culture within the field and who live by those values. Mm-hmm. No, that's I mean that's that's great, isn't it? To uh, you know, to have a to have a value to make people better. I think um I think all businesses should maybe try and fit that somewhere into their uh, into their, uh, their their brief. So what do you? I mean, do you are you able to plan forward then? You know what um you know what you're looking to do as a business um you know to improve the way that it works. How, how do you how do you how do you manage that process? I suppose, like like everybody, we have our annual aims that we uh, and objectives that we try to aspire to um, from health and safety. We've always got the overarching, trying to make it a safer place, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also other issues. Um, uh, try to enhance the training. It's we, we we hold a number of ISO standards as well, so it's trying to uh, make sure we we have those standards and um, and roll them out to more more organization uh, more sites within our organization more service lines and then we also have um a, a very much a long-term outlook so on the uh, and the environmental and the sustainability side of things we're, we're looking at the moment um what, what's it going to look like in 2025 
having a more long-term look at things. We, uh, we were adopting a strategy in line with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, I'm not going to quiz you now and ask you to name all 18 at the moment. <laughs> uh, you can do that for your homework. And for any listeners out there, we'll give them a, a pause in proceedings for them to listen all 18. <laughs> you know, um... <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I'm having doubts. Is it 18 now? We're just going to have to double check if actually you're going to. Um... <laughs> but it, it, by looking at that long term, you can then map where you want to be each year. Moving up, moving forward to that goal as well, and um, and by looking from more from a sustainability perspective rather than focus on just the environmental perspective, we get to uh, to to look at how we can uh, do better for our um, you know making the workforce healthier, having trying to do what we can for the community working to make them healthier and better as well as the uh, traditional environmental type issues that. Um, uh, that we that we look at as well, you know, waste, recycling, reusing. Uh, that's quite that, that's quite motivating in in our organisations. You can see that five years down the line. Um, mm. Yeah. No, that's uh, you know, to have that longer view, that longer vision, I think is really important. You know, and it's it's very very easy to get uh, to get stuck on you know well, what are we going to do in the next two months the next three months you need that you need to have that short-term strategy but you also need to have the, the long game as well to uh, you know to know to know where you're going especially when you've got to you've got so many sites so many people and uh, you know so many so many members of the public um and i'm a complete idiot there are 17 goals not 18. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, edit out the 18 bit, replace it with 17, 17. <laughs> just, um, um, just sort of, you know, last, uh, last couple of questions really. The, the, this interaction then with members of the public, you know, what, um, do, you, do you have to do things differently then from a health and safety perspective for members of the public differently to how you do with your, with your own employees or, 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 or is it quite a similar approach that you take? Um, you have to be aware that the members of the public in your uh, in, in your facilities, because that's the key thing that we're about. It's about members of the public coming in for their um, to train or, 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 or to go through um, procedures. So yes, you you have that, but you don't treat um, patients any differently than the staff or members any differently from from from, from the staff. Um, Yes, there's certain things you perhaps need to, to look at for access to certain areas. Um, you know, you don't want members wandering around the pool plant rooms, for example. But mm-hmm. um, you know, you're conscious of, of who our members are. The, um, um, for example, when it comes to lifeguarding, the age age ranges that we uh, that, that use our pools. Um, so we're conscious from that perspective, for example, or. Um, Again, in our gyms, from a first aid perspective, if, if um, some of our clubs are adult only, but a lot of our clubs, we have children in our, our sites, so we make sure from a first aid perspective, we have the paediatric pads and the paediatric uh, uh, training. Um, mm-hmm. We also have a number of nurses in our gyms as well. But it, yes, sir, you have to think about the members, the, the patients, but you, I, don't, I don't treat them differently. Uh, because I think it's better to look at it from an overarching perspective rather than try to micromanage each individual cohort of people who are in the building because it's not just 
members and staff, patients and staff, it's sort of think contractors. You've got to think about the uh, the ages of people, whether they be um, their patients, members or, or staff. You've got to think about uh, does anybody have any vulnerabilities or disabilities? So it, it's, it's not really the, the route I, I think we should be taking. Um, we should try to look at it as a whole rather than as a um, siloing each particular mm. um, cohort into different areas and manage the, the risk differently. Mm. Um, so as an example is a, is a fire safety perspective. If unfortunately there was a fire in one of our buildings, it's, um, you know, you don't treat the members and the patients differently from uh, from from the from the staff you take into account what they can and can't do individuals but uh, mm-hmm. it's not um it's not a them and us situation <laughs> we're all we're all in it together all in it together the controls are just relevant to the to the to the people yeah, yeah so that's uh yes no that's uh that's great great Bill, I mean, I mean, you know, I really, really appreciate uh, appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Um, you know, thanks a lot for, for coming on. Is there is there anything that you've got, you know, you've got coming up, or anything that you want to, you know, sort of tell tell the listeners about, and you know, that initiatives or ideas that you've that you're working on? Um, I suppose a lot of things are on hold at the moment due to um, the COVID nineteen pandemic, and um, but I think what is important for me and what I'd encourage. Uh, or the health and safety professionals to do is to spend some time every day thinking what's it going to look like after all this is over because it will be over and yes we need to focus a lot of our energies on managing what's going on at the moment but we also need to think about um, what's what's it going to look like outside and beyond uh, so it don't let that become a, a sudden thing you've got to do in the last two minutes Mm. is the plan of what's going to happen once you've come out of this. So I think it, it really is important that we, um, we we continue to think long-term as well as as, as helping our organisations, whether it be healthcare or gyms or whether it be uh, food processing or, um, or cement manufacturing. Mm. We need to think what's going to happen in the long-term, how we want to be managing and planning for that. Um, I suppose I'm also thinking from that future perspective, looking at the uh, relatively new apprenticeship schemes that have come out, so the uh, safety and health and environmental technician apprenticeship scheme that's, uh, that's out there, and uh, also there's the environmental health apprenticeship scheme that's out there as well. So looking at those to see if we can um, uh, take advantage of, of um, those schemes and what they offer. That's something that I interviewed. Um, I interviewed Anna Goffey um, last week, and Anna was the first uh, the first person to pass the she apprenticeship. So, oh um, right, yeah. Okay. So uh, that was really nice to talk to her and Philippa, that her uh, her, her boss, who who basically also runs an, an apprenticeship program. So it was really um, it was really interesting uh, sort of chatting to them and the you know the the co- I think the the, ni- the nice thing that I that I, I I hadn't met her before. She was so. She was. She's only a you know a young lady, but oh, full of confidence. And she said that that has come from from doing the apprenticeship. It's just really really nice to see people like that coming into the industry. Yeah, I've spoken at a couple of events last year, and um, traditionally you look at health and safety as somebody it's a second or third career. Mm. I've increasingly seen people um, it's their first choice career, so that's mm. refreshing that uh, mm. that a younger cohort are, uh, are, are coming along. I remember 
two years ago, I was on the Irish Council and uh, they were giving a, you know, the average age of people and they're thinking, crikey, I'm in my late 40s, shall we say, at the time. Mm. And I'm part of the young cohort in uh, in Irish, so uh, it is it is good that uh, younger people are, are stepping up and wanting to get involved in this issue. Yeah, um, and so uh, that that's quite positive for the, for the future of, uh, mm. of our profession. Um, so yeah, I think lots of positive things to look look about in the future, and uh, and also with, within what I'm doing, as I said earlier. Um, it's sort of on hold to a certain degree, but uh, looking forward to reviewing and continuing the review of all of what we do, and um, and then updating the training and the auditing and uh, and things like that um, on our sites as well. That's uh, quite refreshing, I think, to, to look at things slightly differently. Ah, oh, that's uh, that's wonderful, Philip. Thank you ever so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. So. No worries, Colin. Thank you ever so much, Phil. Um, it uh, it was great to have a chat, um, and, and it was nice to nice to hear your take on it. Your take on the sort of the environmental health role as the as the entry into into a health and safety profession, rather than the sort of the usual through the operation, like I did through operations into into a health and safety advisor or health and safety officer's role. And I think you know that just brings a slightly different perspective to uh, to to the role. And, and and for me, that that's what good health and safety is about. It's about the perspective. It's about you know looking at things from in, in other people's eyes and and getting to their level and and understanding the, the issues and the problems and the things that they have to face on a on a daily on a weekly basis and uh, and the decisions that they make because because ultimately the decisions that people make are are either positive or negative and and um and so and so you um you know you've got to you've got to get to understand you know what people are facing so you know so thank you very much for bringing that uh, that 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 approach to uh, you know to the health and safety side of things um i hope you've enjoyed the uh, the episode and uh, and i look forward to speaking to you all again really really soon bye now Thanks for listening to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business.